Uh, great. Good morning, everyone. Uh, let me add my welcome to Christmas. My name is Pete. I'm one of the, uh, the pastors here. And uh, if you're visiting us today, this is uh, what we, we do every Sunday. We just open a portion of God's Word and we let God speak to us through it. And uh, today we're starting a new series in uh, Peter's second letter. So let's pray together as we, as we come to God's Word. We thank you so much, Lord, for your great and precious promises of the gospel. We thank you for your presence here with us, for your power at work among us. And we we pray that uh, right now you would speak to us powerfully by your Holy Spirit. Stimulate us to wholesome thinking, to remember all that you've given us through Jesus. And we pray that in light of that, you would help us to live godly lives to the glory of your name. Amen. I think it was uh, Eugene Peterson who said that being a Christian is a bit like riding a bike. If you don't keep moving forward, you fall off. I took Chloe to see the ducks yesterday in the park, and uh, I saw a a couple of parents trying to teach their little kid uh, to ride his bike. And and as as they sort of pushed the seat off, you can hear them shouting, keep pedaling, don't stop, keep moving forward. Because if you don't keep moving forward, you fall off. But it doesn't just apply to children, it applies to adults as well. As I discovered to my own embarrassment a few years ago, I was cycling from Wavertree into town, going past uh, Edge Hill Station, if you know that bit of town. And there's a big crossroads with big traffic lights, very busy junction. And I thought I could sneak through on the amber, but I couldn't. Uh, it went red, I slammed on my brakes, I came to an abrupt halt, and, and I stopped and began to overbalance. But I, you know, it's all right, adults have learned to put their foot down. The only problem was that my foot was still clipped into my pedal. And so as I, I sort of desperately tried to free my leg, as I fell to the side. And I was at the head of the queue. There were cars everywhere. One narrowly missed my head as I fell to the ground uh, embarrassingly. But it's not just me. It actually happened even to the President of the United States as well, as we'll see. So, um, Luke, can you play that for us? Here he is going... Going, going, his feet are clipped in, he stops, and over he goes. (laughs) Whether it's the child learning to ride their bike, the adult who's a seasoned bike rider, or even the president of the United States, the same rules apply. Keep moving forward. If you don't keep moving forward, you fall off. That's the thing about riding a bike. It's actually quite easy to keep your balance, surprisingly easy, if you're moving forward and pedaling. But as soon as you stop, you fall off. And what we're going to see this morning as we begin uh, this new series in 2 Peter is that exactly the same thing is true if you're a Christian. If you don't keep moving forward, you may fall off. But there's a great promise in this passage as well. For even the weakest and tiredest of spiritual legs, God has given us every power and every reason to keep pedaling, to keep moving forward all the way to the finish line. You have all you need, so give all you've got. That's the first thing we see. You have all you need, verses 1 to 4, you have all you need. Um, If you've closed the Bible, please open it up again. 
uh, have a look at 2 Peter, help you to, to follow along as we go. Look at verse 3. Peter says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I wonder if you caught that word. Everything we need. Perhaps that sounds a bit ambitious to you, maybe even utterly fictitious, but Peter's emphatic. If you know Jesus Christ, you have everything that you could ever need for all of life, for every circumstance that you could ever face, whether it's that experience of rejection, that situation that feels unfair for battling your own selfish desires, for your teenage years at school figuring out how to fit in, for your working life, how to keep plugging away at a job that's just a bit meh, for your singleness, for your marriage, for your parenting, for your midlife crisis, for your later life, for being single again, for dealing with failing health, even for facing death. Jesus is totally sufficient for all of it. What Jesus gives us in the gospel, in himself, means we have everything we need. You are completely and comprehensively provided for. Now, I know it doesn't always feel like that. Very often in the Christian life, I feel ill-equipped, underprepared, under-resourced. But Peter wants to show us that if you feel like that this morning, you're basically like Harry Potter, trapped under the stairs of Privet Drive, wondering how on earth he's ever going to be able to enjoy life at Hogwarts, not realising that his Gringotts bank vault is absolutely loaded. Brothers and sisters, that's us when it comes to the Christian life. In Christ, we have absolutely everything that we could ever need. And that's because when we come to Jesus, we're coming to the one who is God. Peter says in verse 1, he writes, To those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Jesus is two things. He's our Saviour and our God. It's plain as day right there. If anyone ever tells you the New Testament never says Jesus is God, you can turn to two, Peter. Our God, Jesus, and because he is our God, his ability to provide what we need is infinite and limitless. His resources never run out, his pockets are never empty, his provision is never exhausted, because he is the eternal God. And Peter tells us that through Jesus' righteousness, his, his gift of righteousness to us, we have received a faith. As precious as the apostles. Now, um, there are lots of unique things about the apostles. The apostles were specially commissioned by the risen Jesus to be his witnesses. They had the unique role of laying the foundation for the church. I mean, think about it. The one writing this letter got an eyewitness glimpse of Jesus' glory literally saw his majesty with his own eyes. He had breakfast on the beach with Jesus. 
Peter is a legend. But here's what he's saying in verse 1. Your faith in Jesus is exactly the same as his. Your faith in Jesus gives you the same standing before God as Peter has. Your faith in Jesus gives you the same righteous status before God as Peter has. Your faith in Jesus gives you something as precious as Peter has. The knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's not something we've earned or something we've deserved. Something we've received as a gift. Knowing Jesus Christ himself and his gift of salvation so that we have grace and peace in abundance. So listen, the the Apostle Peter is no better off than you are. Same faith, same peace, same experience of God's grace, same standing before God's throne, same status in God's family. And that's all given to you for free as a gift, simply through trusting in Jesus. And there's even more. Verse 3, the same power at work within us by the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, the same precious and great promises of his word. And Peter says that through faith in those gospel promises, we've come to participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. There's quite a lot going on in verse 4. So let's take the last bit first. We've escaped corruption. And what Peter is saying is that Jesus Christ has set you free from the penalty and power of sin. If you've trusted in him, your sin is forgiven. And, And what's more, the power of sin in your life has been broken. You're no longer in chains Bound to sin and corruption. You've been taken out of the dominion of darkness. Brought into the kingdom of Jesus. You're no longer a slave to your evil desires. By the spirit God has put new desires in you. A passion for God and for godliness. Now of course that means that right now. There's a battle going on inside your heart. Those evil desires will wage war against you, tempting you at every turn. Sin is still your enemy. But it is no longer your master. You're not a captive to sin anymore. You're free. If you've seen the film, The Great Escape, it's a bit like that. The prisoners of war tunnel out of the Stalag Luft prison of war camp. And when they emerge out of the tunnel, they are free. There are still lots of dangers, still an enemy out to capture them. But they're not prisoners anymore. They're free. And it's exactly the same for you. Even right now with all the the struggles against sin and temptations that we still endure... You have escaped. You're free. But Peter says even more than that. We've come to participate in the divine nature. It's Peter's poetic way of talking about being united with Jesus. 
One of the reasons that faith in Jesus is so precious is because by the Spirit, faith joins us to Jesus. And in Christ, we come to participate in the eternal life and love of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. You see, through faith, we don't just know about God, some facts. We actually know God himself. But even more than that, we don't just know God. We experience his eternal life and love. Do you see, brothers and sisters, everything is yours. It's all yours. And let me say, if you're not yet a Christian here today, you're really welcome here. Let me just tell you, this is what's on offer to you in Jesus as well. This can all be yours for free forever. Forgiveness of sin. Status and standing before God. An experience of God's own life and love. And the resources to face everything in your life. Simply by trusting in Jesus. But I think what Peter's saying here is challenging for the way that lots of us tend to think about the Christian life. Very often we compartmentalize our lives. We think a bit like this. Faith over there, work over there, family over here, friends over there. And we basically think, well, maybe... Jesus is sort of enough for that faith compartment, but probably doesn't have a lot to offer in the other areas. See, in that view, Jesus has all we need for faith, but not for life. If you think like that, your Jesus is way too small. All of life comes under his lordship. Life is one big circle. And Peter's saying Jesus has everything you need for everything in it. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life, to live in ways that honor and reflect Jesus in every single one of those areas. Because what Jesus gives us through the gospel is more than simply the past assurance of forgiveness and a future hope of eternal life. It's not less than that. But if that's all the gospel offers you, past forgiveness and future life, what about everything in between? If that's all the gospel offers, it's not big enough to really help you with the challenges that you face in your life right now. And we feel that, don't we? That's, so, that's why so many of us turn to other things. Day to day, functionally, to fill the gap that we feel in the here and now, where we tend to feel like Jesus has left us on our own. Now, please don't mishear me. The gospel is not less than those things. Jesus gloriously gives us the assurance of our forgiveness, our sins washed away through his death on the cross. Wondrously, he gives us the hope of eternal life in the future, the promise of incomparable and incomprehensible glory in the new creation. The gospel is not less than those things, but it is more. Because it's not just past and future, it's present too. Right now, we have the power 
and the presence and the promises of God with us today, right now, for all of life, for everything that you will ever face to enable you to live a godly life that honors Jesus in every way. Now listen, I I know for some of you, your, your problems in life just feel too big for that to make a difference. Life is hard, work is stressful, small children are relentless, health is failing. It feels hard enough just to survive each day, let alone to grow in godliness. If you feel that way this morning, if, if you feel kind of defeated, please hear the encouragement in this passage. Through your knowledge of Jesus Christ, you have everything that you could ever need. Let's be honest, this world filled with corruption, in bondage to decay, it's a hard place to grow. That's why I picked that picture for this series. Our environment is not conducive to easily living for God. We all know that. We have daily struggles against the world, the flesh and the devil, and yet we do have all we need. Not just to survive, but to thrive, to even grow. The power, presence, and promises of the gospel. And the good news is that it, that doesn't come through any extra super spiritual techniques, anything like that. I think it was like an old Volvo advert. It all comes as standard normal Christianity, just normal faith in Jesus. You don't need to go looking for something extra to get this godly life. Already you have all you need. If someone tells you the magic key to the Christian life and it is not Jesus, they are lying to you. That's actually why Peter wrote this letter. Because the Christians he's writing to are being lied to. These false teachers that are telling them, you know, oh, you, you need something extra. So Peter uses his last opportunity before he is executed by the Roman Emperor Nero to write to them, to remind them of the truth they already know, to remind them of the gospel, and to remind them that in Christ, through the gospel, they already have all they need. We have the divine power of the Spirit of God at work within us. We have the great and precious promise of the gospel. We have the presence of God with us. So this is not just a special life for the apostles of this world. It's for ordinary Christians. Even for you. You know the God of goodness and glory. You have the power, promises, and the presence of God. You have all you need. So, give all you've got. Verses 5 to 11. So, give all you've got. I guess one possible response to that first half is to say, well, surely if, given us, if God's given us all we need, then we just let go and let God, right? Wrong. Verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort. In other words, keep moving forward, because otherwise you may fall off. And I want you to see that the two parts are connected, aren't they? Verses 1 to 4 and, and verse 5. This call for effort and action, it's built on the power, promises, and presence of God. 
So God has saved you by grace. That's all him. We don't do anything for that. But his grace in saving us is then the foundation and the motivation for a life of godliness. And by grace, he continually supplies all we need to do that. But that doesn't make us passive. God's grace doesn't cancel out the need for our effort when it comes to growing in godliness. So when when Peter talks about effort, we don't need to be, whoa, 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 what's going on? This is not salvation by works all of a sudden. Not at all. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. It's a gift that we've received, verse 1. But like Martin Luther said, we're saved By faith alone. You simply trust Jesus. But the faith that saves, the faith that joins you to Jesus for salvation, is not alone. Real faith works. And growing in godliness requires effort. And that's why in verse 5, Peter calls us to make every effort to be diligent in pursuing these things, to be zealous for them. He has this list of qualities in uh, verses 5 to 7. And before we look at them, there's nothing significant in the order, except maybe that it begins with faith and ends with love. I think that's sort of deliberate. But it's it's not a progression. Okay, so it's not like you try and add goodness and only once you've completed goodness can you start to add knowledge. Of course it doesn't work like that. It's more like a central heating system. When you fire up the boiler, it's not just one of the radiators that gets hot, is it? All of them do, and together they warm the house. And it's a little bit like that with these qualities. If you, for example, fire up the boiler to make an effort to grow in self-control, you'll find that at the same time, you also grow in knowledge because you will read the Bible in a more disciplined way. You'll grow in perseverance because you'll resist the urge to give up. You'll control that desire to give up. You'll grow in godliness because you'll resist temptation. So Peter gives us these seven things to grow in, to become fruitful and effective people. And the thing I want you to know about all of, to notice about all of those things is that they're all about character, all about the kinds of people we are. We are addicts for busyness and activity. And sometimes we're so busy being busy that growing in godliness gets forgotten. Or, or, we, or we deliberately hide behind it. We hide behind a, a prominent gift or, or busyness or activity to make up for a lack of godly character. But Peter is really clear. Fruitfulness and effectiveness in the Christian life has got nothing to do with how many activities you run, how busy you are, how hard you work to organize them. Nothing to do with how gifted or competent you are. It's all about the kind of person you are. That is the thing that counts. So let's look at the list. Peter says, if, if, if you're a Christian, you already have this faith. You already have this faith as precious as the apostles. But if you want to be effective and productive, you need to keep moving forward. To add to it, verse 5, first of all, goodness. 
add goodness. It's the same word used to describe Jesus in verse 3. A Jesus-like kindness and generosity towards others. Second, add knowledge, a deeper knowledge of God and the gospel. Don't settle for what you already know. Stretch yourself to know more of God and the gospel, to grow in depth and maturity as you read and believe and obey God's word. You can be sure of this, if your knowledge of God is not growing, you are not growing. Add self-control. Being in control of what you eat, what you spend, especially what you say. Add perseverance. Staying the course through difficulty, refusing to give up even when it's hard, whether that's a work or relationship or serving in some way. Add, add godliness, a passion for God and his word, a character that reflects what he's like. Add mutual affection. In Peter's day, that word was only ever used to refer to blood relatives. But here Peter says this is about the church. We're to have that kind of genuine affection for brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, let me just say on this, I know it's quite common to hear people say that in church, we don't have to like each other. We only have to love each other. I've said it. We, we all know what that means. But I'm just not sure Peter's going to let us get away with that. Grow in genuine affection for one another. That's what Peter says, isn't it? And that culminates finally in love. A concern to put other people first, a desire to serve others, a compassion for people who are lost. And, and here's the thing, it's your responsibility to grow in these ways. No one can do that for you. But you have all you need. So give all you've got. And in verses 8 to 11, Peter gives us three motivations to help keep us moving forward, pursuing these things. The first motivation is there in verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's both an encouragement and a warning, that, isn't it? Positively, Peter's saying, if you do possess these things, if you're growing in these things, your service of Jesus will be effective and productive and fruitful. Isn't that what we want? For our lives to count for something? For our energy to have actually made a difference? Well, here's the secret. And notice again, it's not about how busy you are or how many activities you do. It's about growing in godly character. That is the thing, the only thing. That will make you effective and productive. And so there's a warning implied here too. Because Peter is telling us it is possible for you to know Jesus, to have faith as precious as his, to be saved. But to live in ways that are ultimately ineffective and unproductive. Listen, you could be the busiest, most hardworking, most gifted Christian in the whole world. But if you are not godly, it will not count for anything. If you don't keep moving forward, you fall off. 
Peter says in verse 9, he gives us a second motivation. He says, whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. This one is just a straight-up warning. If you call yourself a Christian, but you have no real deep desire to grow in these things, if right now there is no sense of conviction in your heart to grow in these ways, there is something wrong. You've forgotten about the gospel. You've forgotten what it is to be a Christian, cleansed from sin, filled with the Spirit, free to live a new life. It's to be short-sighted and blind because you've lost sight of the past. You're forgiven. But more than that, you've lost sight of the future. You've lost sight of the reality that one day Jesus is going to come in glory with his eternal kingdom and we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for our lives. If you don't keep moving forward, you may fall off. The last motivation is there in verses 10 and 11. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Beloved, God has called you. By his own glory and goodness, he's called you to himself. And the way that on our side we prove the, genuous, the genuineness of that call is by living godly lives, growing in godliness. And the promise is here. If you make every effort to grow in godliness, you will be richly welcomed into his eternal kingdom but just like with riding a bike you've got to keep moving forward or you may fall off in the summer months i um, enjoy watching a bit of the tour de france it's the most intense bike race in the world three weeks Two and a half thousand miles. They go uphill, the equivalent of climbing Mount Everest five times. What keeps them going through those long days in the saddle all the way to the summit of those grueling climbs? What keeps them going? The rich welcome waiting for them at the finish line on the Champs-Élysées. But that's all. They do it for a bright yellow top, a little bit of cash, a cuddly toy lion, and a bouquet of flowers. That's it! Brothers and sisters, what better promises await us? Yeah? A new creation. Seeing Jesus face to face. A rich welcome into his eternal kingdom. Make every effort. Keep moving forward. You have all you need. So give all you've got. Let's pray.